This is the Living Vertizontal Podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Romans 2, 17-29. In this passage, Paul discusses the shortfall of the Jews' dependence on the law. Together, we discuss what it means to be included in the family of God. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Romans. Uh, As a quick reminder, last week we started in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 to 16. And in this passage, Paul describes God's righteous judgment. And together, we discussed God's role as judge and our role as obedient followers of Christ. Uh, This week, we're going to be finishing out chapter 2, looking at verses 17 through 29. And in this passage, Paul discusses the the shortfall of the Jews' dependence on the law. And um, I believe we have Derek reading for us today. So Derek, would you mind reading Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29? Yeah. Verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Derek. Um, As we move into this passage and in our conversation on it, I think it is important for us to just begin with the recognition that Paul is, in fact, addressing um, the Jews of this contingency of the church in, in Rome that, that is experiencing like this um, division between the, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And last week in our episode, um, I, I alluded to the fact that he was beginning to speak to the Jews. And in verse 17, we'd actually like land on that reality that he was in fact speaking to the Jews. We now hit verse 17 and continue on from it. And we see that um, 
with this turn in chapter two, Paul moves on from kind of talking about the Gentile conversation and is now addressing the Jews specifically, which is important because as a reminder, like the, the church in Rome is experiencing, um, some tension between these two, these two sides, um, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And it's here in this particular passage that we begin to see maybe what is at the heart, what's at the core of this conversation, this, this, um, disagreement that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles within the church at Rome. And so as we move into just the first verse for our, our conversation today, looking at, at verse 17, um, Paul says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, as we come into that, the first thing that comes into my mind is like, why, why does that matter? What, why would people be leaning so heavily on this? Like I am a Jew and why is that anything to be boasting about in this new Christian church? Right. Yeah, exactly. Why, why is this anything to be boasting about? And I, I think we even began this conversation last week, but as a reminder, um, and maybe to complete it a little further, like the Jews are God's chosen people. If you look back in uh, Exodus 19, uh, they are identified as his chosen people, a kingdom of priests um, to the nations. Like God had selected Israel to essentially represent him, to to be the intermediary between him and the rest of creation. And so the, the Jews were in this unique position of influence between the God of all creation and the rest of the world. And so to lean on this identity, to boast in this identity of being a Jew, like they are they are leaning on into this reality that like, hey, I am God's chosen person. So if we're thinking about this argument that exists between Gentiles and Jews, like one side of it almost seems like they're not fighting fair because they're dismissing the rest of the conversation when they say, well, but we're God's chosen. And so like we, we know how this conversation ought to go. We know where we ought to be concluding um, the disagreements that we have. I mean, if you just look at the the rest of verse 17 and on, uh, Paul makes a statement, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, like Paul is laying out um, and calling out this superiority complex that it seems like the Jews have that is linked to the law. They think that because they have been given the law, they somehow know better the will of God than anybody else, and they know better God's desire for everybody else. And as such, they are trying to fit people into the mold that they have created using the, I guess, their cookie cutter version of the law. And so it's, it's, it's from their perspective, it's from their understanding, their, their understanding of who they are as the chosen people of God and the place that puts them in and understanding the will of God and, and the knowledge of God 
that they then like are imposing their perceived understanding of God on everybody else. As the church today, we find ourselves in a similar position, um, kind of as the ambassadors uh, of God. And so we, we kind of, we can see some parallels between us and what the Jews uh, in Rome were probably feeling about themselves Sure. Um, in, in this confrontation. I mean, we have a lot of conflict that the church is involved with with regards to its interactions with the world. And so the church then is kind of this moral, tries to be this, this moral compass for the world where we say, well, we have this special connection with God as the church really should be listening to and following God. So we have this special connection with God. And so it, it's, it can be very tempting for Christians to take that relationship and lord it over um, other parts of humanity when it's convenient. And so I think, I, I guess I can see this temptation and I resonate with that temptation um, that the Jews are, are being called out on by Paul. And this is the conversation we've had a lot. And this is the danger of taking your eyes off Jesus for even a split second, because in those moments, that's when we run ahead with what we know, what we've known or what we know to be true, instead of continuing to listen for every step of the way, instead of, you know, catching the first part and then assuming and running with it. We talked about Peter extensively. He, he always had this struggle. And I think we really have, we continue to have this struggle the temptation to, you hear Jesus, you're excited about what he spoke to you, you're ready to run with it, you think you've got it, and you go, and you fail to slow down enough to hear what it is that he might be wanting to lead you in every every step along the way. And it's almost as if Paul is kind of calling this to the attention, hey, hey, wait a minute, but but remember, Christ didn't come to divide. And so if he didn't come to divide, then there must be something that's missing here. And we've got to slow down with what we know and let's seek his will in this particular situation, not just run ahead with what we've known to always be true, but let's sit down, let's discuss, let's listen, let's pray together and let's get through this together. Um, and so it's it's almost this this pause button that that we really, really have got to develop as a discipline to regularly slow ourselves enough to keep seeking, keep listening, not just run ahead with what was a really, really good plan, but we've missed all the nuances of how that plan is supposed to play out. It, it very much feels like they've made the law their God because they, they know the law, they understand the law, and they, I, I believe they, they understand what the law was meant to accomplish, but as you pointed out, Natasha, they've forgot the one who gave them the law. And so in this, they've become defenders of the law. We've got to keep the law at all costs. And so we have to impose what the law says on you. And for me, when I when I see verse 24, that, that, that hits home. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so because of this this position that they've given the law, not something that was bad, it's intended to be a good thing, but because they've made it the God that they're serving at this moment, it is impacting the lives of those around them. 
And so I feel like for me, the question is, or maybe for like the church today, like, what am I doing that may be blaspheming the name of God through other people because of the way that I'm living it out? Am I like, am I defending the law? Has the law become my God? Or am I allowing, like you said, taking time to be slow and allow, allow God to speak? Um, the, the law is a good thing. Like God gave Moses the law for a reason. Um, but the law was not intended to be what they serve. They were intended to serve the one who gave the law to them. And I mean, Jesus was regularly combating this throughout his ministry. I mean, whether it's him being accused of healing on the Sabbath or his disciples picking the grain and eating on the Sabbath. So they're preparing their food. And, you know, the the legalism that comes out of the Pharisees in each of these moments is evidence of what you just mentioned, Derek, that they're, they've made the law their God. Whereas Jesus tries to say, no, 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 like, wait a minute, look at what's going on here. Let's see the heart. Try to see the heart, you know, try to have God's eyes as best as you're able to. And then of course he gives us the Holy spirit, which enables us to do that so much better if we're willing to slow down enough and, and test our every thought and test our every assumption uh, to see if it's consistent with what he's trying to do this time in this moment, in this place. I think, um, you guys are hitting on something really important and it, it, it's a fine line that we're trying to skate, but maybe I will just jump over the line. Maybe not. But as I've been listening to you guys and as I've been thinking about it more, um, and also doing some reading and some research about it, uh, one of the people that I was reading actually made the statement that, um, the, the way that we Christians view Jesus today is the way that Jews historically, like in the sense of like right now, how Paul is addressing these Jewish Christians, it's the way that they viewed the law. And so when I read that, and as I think about what you guys are saying, like, I think you even just said, Natasha, like they, they made the law a God. And I think you also said that as well, Derek, I would go further and say, they perceived the law to be God. Like they made the law the end rather than the tool or the avenue through which they encountered the God of creation. The law became the God. And as I think about that, like I wonder in what ways have we done something similar? Um, I, I, this is where I do want to be very careful. Um, but I, I think about scripture, for example, our understanding of scripture within the church of the Nazarene is that it reveals to us the story of God. It is not God. We can understand things about God. We can understand his love for all of creation. We can understand his plan for salvation. Like we can understand things from scripture, but scripture itself is not God. And so as I think about the pedestal that the Jews placed the law on, I wonder in what ways have we, even in the church of the Nazarene, placed the law, scripture, on the same pedestal. 
rather than recognizing that it is a a tool or an avenue through which we can know God or experience God or, or a thing that points us towards God, it's almost like we make it the end rather than just a means to the end, which is God himself. And I know that that's like a, a fine line, like the edge of a razor sharp knife. And it would be easy to fall off on either side or even hurt yourself standing on the edge. But like, it, these are just thoughts that I'm having questions that I have, like the invitation that Jesus gives throughout the gospel is an invitation to come and, and be in relationship, come and know me, come and follow me. Right. And, and even as he like, leaves the earth and is talking to his disciples, he makes a statement that I will be with you. Like the invitation that we have is an invitation of relationship. But that seems to be the part that they're missing. Right. The relationship. They understand. And I mean, so many people know about who God is. We've read about like how he reveals himself through nature. People know who God is. I know, like, I know who the president is. I don't have a relationship with the president. Um, and as it stands, I, I will likely never be able to have that kind of relationship. That's probably true. But God is much different than that. He is making himself available. And the law is a tool of getting to know who he is. Um, it just help, it helps to reveal who he is, as you pointed out to us. It is not him, but he is making himself available. Well, and when we begin to use this, the law in this way that you're talking about, and we place it up on this pedestal, we make law God, we make scripture God. When we do these things, it puts us in a position to be judged according to that law by both the people on the inside and the people on the outside. And so... This, I'm guessing, is what's resulting resulting in this blasphemy or or blasphemy of God's name among among the Gentiles is because we're we're saying the law, we're communicating the law, we're telling, hey, look at all these things that you're not doing according to the law. We're projecting the law. And so now we're being judged according to the law from their perspective only by the stuff they've heard us say. And they're turning that and then they're judging back the Jews, right? So, or in today, we could bring this in today, today's, you know, time, just, just the same Christians are continually judging the world, continually judging the world, continually judging. And we're telling them what the Bible says, what does scripture say? Here's what it says about that. And then they look back at the church and they say, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And you're not doing this. And because that's the perception, now God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles or among the non-Christians. And it comes back to this heart of judgment that we just got finished talking about last week, right. this, this conversation about the heart. And I think that's what Paul here is. Again, he's trying to say, Hey guys, like it's not, it's the law is not the end. It's as you guys are saying, it's this relationship and that we have the Holy spirit and he's going to lead you and he's going to show you how this plays out. And when we rely on the Holy spirit, we're constantly focused on moving forward. We're not having to look back and judge and hold this, this thing up to judge. It's, it's so different. It's, it's, I don't know, far more optimistic. I feel like right. than, than all that, but it's also far more terrifying 
as I think about this idea of the law, this idea of scripture, and then this idea of like obedience to God, for me to articulate what it means, what it, what it actually looks like, like to give a plan for somebody of what it looks like to be obedient to God on a moment by moment basis. It's like, I don't know. Like there, there are some things that we can say, but, but it's, it's, it's hard to actually put some kind of like concrete things to it. But if we hold the law up or if we hold scripture up, now we have something that's a whole lot more concrete and we can just defer to that. And so it's, it's almost, it's safer. It's easier to lean on those things. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a check. And even more than that, and maybe again, I'm going somewhere I shouldn't, but when we have the law, which is complete as far as the Israelite, like the Jews understood it at the time, right? Like it it was completed. This is what everything that was contained in the law was there and they knew it. Scripture, it's complete. Everything that is in scripture is here. And I mean, even revelation says can't add to it. If we can know these things front to back, inside and out, and we recognize it as, in a sense, the end, like we put it on the pedestal, it's almost like we become equivalent with God or we become God as well. Because now I know everything there is to know. And now I'm starting to understand why Paul would say something like, uh, you rely on the law and boast in God and know his will. Now I understand why Paul will be saying something like that to the Jews, because when I think about it like that, like if I just default to, to scripture as the end, I can be like, well, this is it period. But if instead we say, no, 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 like scripture is, is pointing us towards the one we're to have a relationship with. And actually like the most important thing that we can do is walk in obedience with the one we're supposed to be in relationship with that gets a little more gray and a little more difficult and a little more nuanced depending on who it is. So there's a saying that I've heard before. Um, don't smoke, don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. I've heard that one before. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's funny, but that's, you know, when you think about how can you tell the difference between a Christian or a non-Christian, it's easier to go down the list and be like, well, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go with girls who do. Like that's an easy like comparison to tell who is good and who is not good per se. It's a whole lot harder to see somebody's heart. And I think I I can see why they would want to hold on to that checklist or that list of things that we do and don't do because that's easier for me to tell what's who's who and what's going on and who's right and who's wrong. Um, it's a whole lot harder to, to see somebody's heart and to know what God, you know, like you were talking about, like to know that they are obeying and listening to Jesus moment by moment, because we don't know because we can't see. And there's like variables, like you said, that we, 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 that are just complex. And I think we, because we live in a society that we want to know what's right and what's wrong. We want to see what's right, right and what's wrong. Black and white. Yeah. I live there. 
I am a black <laughs> and white kind of gal. Amen. <laughs> but, you know, to really get to know people and to take time and get to know their heart and to spend time with them, you know, that's a whole lot different. It, it, it requires a relationship. Not only they are going to have to have a relationship with Jesus, but you're going to have to have a relationship with them. And if we're called to make disciples, it's easier to look at somebody and say, oh, Derek doesn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. So <laughs> he's, he, in. he's all right. But it's a whole lot harder to look at Derek and say, you know what? I've spent time with him. I know him. I can tell by his fruit where the root is. Yeah. That takes time and that's harder. Um, so I can I can see the the propensity. Is that the right word? Propensity. Propensity. Yep. Thank you. I knew it sounded weird. To want to use those lists, but I think Jesus very plainly, you know, during his ministry tells us to go deeper, to get that relationship, not only the relationship with him, but the relationship with others. It feels very much like this is a, like a callback as Paul's like addressing this, what's taking place um, to verse 17 in chapter one, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. He is asking them to have faith that God knows what he's doing. Like trust, there has to be an element of trust in this. You have the law, that's great, but I need you to have faith that I know what I'm doing with the law. You have to, ha you have to build this relationship with me, and as you build this relationship, you have to trust that I can see what you can't, because we just came from this passage about, as you pointed to, judgment. Like, he can see the heart, and we as God's people, whether you're Jew or Gentile, and obviously for us, we're Gentiles— if you are God's people, you can only see what God allows you to see. And you have to have faith that his righteousness is being revealed through other people. And then you have to work on that relationship so that he can help you see that righteousness. But it's not up to us to do that. And I think what we've been talking about here is, is why this conversation that Paul moves into in verse 25 to the end of the chapter is is so important, this conversation on circumcision. Like it is a physical representation of a decision that was made. If you go back to uh, Genesis, I, I believe it's Genesis 17, um, and you can read the account of, of how circumcision came about, why circumcision came about. And essentially, circumcision was the, the people's side of holding up the covenant agreement, the covenant relationship with God. Like God said, I will do all of this massive list. And he said, and your response is circumcision. And so they have taken this circumcision to essentially now be the indicator of salvation. Like that was just the beginning. If you go back to Genesis, like this, this, move of circumcision was just the beginning of that relationship, that walking in step in covenant relationship with God. But fast forward now into, you know, this conversation between the Jews and Gentiles in Rome, and you are seeing circumcision essentially representing or, or indicating who is in and who is out. 
It's not the starting point. It is the point. And it is the point because it is a an outward um, indicator. Because it is something that's so easy to measure. But Paul is, explains in this, these last few verses, like it, it doesn't really matter what has physically taken place. What actually matters, as has been discussed around this table already, is what is taking place in the person's heart. He even calls it a circumcision of the heart. And, you know, thinking back to Jesus in his time in ministry, I, I, I'm pretty sure we did bring this up last week or, or recently in the last, within the last couple episodes, like Jesus redefined what it meant to be family, right? When people were like, hey, your mother and brother are here. And he said, who are my brother and who, are, who is my mother and who are my brothers? But the one who does the will of the, my father, but the one who walks in obedience, right? Like Jesus in his time in ministry redefines what it means to be in the family. And he defines it as walking in obedience, walking in relationship. And Paul is doing the very same thing here. He's reminding the Jewish Christians, right? The, the Jews who are following Jesus, who recognize Jesus as their Messiah. He is reminding them that, hey, this guy that you say is your Messiah, don't forget, he redefined what it means to be on the inside. Mm -hmm. it, you, you don't just get to be on the inside because you can trace your Jewish lineage. You're on the inside because of something that has happened inside. You're on the inside not because of a, an outward demonstration that you have, but because of an inward decision that you have made to make him the Lord of your life. That's what Paul is talking about here when he is, he is kind of setting aside this idea of circumcision of the body and elevating this idea of a circumcision of the heart. Mm -hmm. And this is what we are talking about around the table when we say it's a lot harder to um, measure or understand this idea of like a circumcision of the heart, this idea of walking in obedience, because there's nothing physical that we can necessarily see. Mm. But this is exactly what Jesus is calling for. And I sit here and I, I look at the closing words of our chapter for the day. And it says, such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Because such a person other people around you wouldn't be able to say anything because they wouldn't know not, not for sure. And so no longer am I living for the response of somebody else. Like no longer am I doing things so that somebody else around me can say, Oh yeah, you're good. Or no, you're not good. But I do what I do for God and God alone. So at our, uh, at our table on Sunday, someone brought up how, you know, circumcision is something that a man would understand. And it would be harder for a woman to understand circumcision, physically speaking, as the Jews understood it here. But they had mentioned about how Paul uses circumcision of the heart. It's the great equalizer because every man, woman, child, we all have a heart. Jews and Gentiles both have a heart. 
They don't understand. They don't have the same rituals, the same practices, but they all have a heart. And we talked about this is something that only only God can do, right? And he even says it here. Paul says, um, circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code, not right. by the law that you have, not by, not even by Scripture. That's not what circumcises your heart. He does. We all have a heart in this like theme of trying to unite two divided groups. Paul so eloquently uses words just like Jesus would to relate to something that they all have. They all have a heart. And his desire is they they be one heart. And the only way they can accomplish that is being is through this work of the Holy Spirit in this having faith in something that they can't see. The law is something they can see. Circumcision is something they can see. But God, as we understand and know Him, as they understood and know Him, they could not see. I feel like I, I'm left with the question of what's what's more important to me? The, the outward covenants that, that I can make or the inward covenants that God is desiring me to be obedient to what He's asked me to do, to have faith that He knows what's best, and leave the results up to Him. If we as a body, as the Church United, are going to make a difference in the world around us, we have to be more focused on being obedient to what He's asking than a list of do's or don'ts. Do's or don'ts, they don't save people. And we are called to be ambassadors to join him on this mission and to live out a life of obedience because that's attractive to people. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.